Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. There's a word that we use a lot in the church and among God's people. And, uh, you know, we have our lingo that we learn quickly when we're in church. And one of those words is bless. You know, well, bless the Lord. Well, God bless you. You know, in, in Texas, uh, when you meet somebody that doesn't have a clue, what you do is you pat them on the shoulder and say, bless your heart, <laughs> which means you don't have a clue, and I'm just trying to be spiritual about it. Uh, bless your heart. We talk a lot about blessings and about the blessed life. The psalmist talks about it. Jesus talked about it with the Beatitudes. And all of us would say without reservation, we want a blessed life. In fact, if you walked up to anybody in the church or not in the church and say, would you like a blessed life? Oh yeah, I'd love to have a blessed life. Would you like to have a prosperous life? Oh, absolutely. I'd love to have a prosperous life. But we look in the wrong places to find it. We don't look in the right places where God told us there is a way to a life that is blessed and there is a way to a life that is prosperous. And I don't mean prosperous in the way the world means prosperous. I mean that I have things that are not in my bank account that are more valuable to me than the things that I can put my hands on Amen. or spend. There are things that God has done that are beyond what I could do that have allowed me to have a prosperous life uh, with him. Uh, let me give you a definition of a blessing. This is a little long, so I'll take enough time. It's not going to come up on the screen, so I'm just going to take some time and let you uh, write it down. A blessing is from the hand of God to my life. A blessing is from the hand of God to my life for my good and his glory. A blessing is from the hand of God to my life for my good and his glory and the good of others. A blessing is from the hand of God to my life for my good and his glory and for the good of others. In other words, a blessing is never to be stored. It is to be shared. God blesses us so we can be a blessing to other people. God blessed Abraham so he could be a blessing to other people. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing to others. And in the Psalm, Psalm 1, which follows the last chapter of Job, which talks about how God blessed the latter days of Job more than his previous days when he prayed for his friends and he doubled everything he had lost in his life in those times of tragedy and sorrow that God did more in the latter days of Job than he ever did in the previous days. The next page that you turn is to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 and verse 1, how blessed is the man. Now, man there is generic. It's not just saying that a man is blessed. It's just blessed is the person. It's, it, you can interpret it generically in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So anything that God can put in my life that I can give him glory for and do it for the good of others, that's a blessing. And so Psalm 1 is this great story about the blessed life. Now, now there's something you need to understand. God has the right to determine who he will bless. And God has the right to set the conditions by which he will bless someone. Have you ever met people that seems like their whole life is a train wreck? I mean, it just seems like everything they touch turns to vinegar. I mean, it just nothing works right in them. One of the questions you ought to ask them is, are you meeting the conditions for God to bless you? Because God has a right to determine the kind of blessings that we get. And the greatest blessing for us is to understand it's not the blessing it is being the kind of person that God can trust with a blessing. You see, the sign is not that you got blessed. Oh, man, we got blessed. We got blessed. We've talked about how God's blessed our church. We got blessed. We got blessed. The greater thing behind all of that is that God can trust you with a blessing. Because when he trusts you with it, it means that he means for you not to store it up and hoard it and to say, this is mine and my blessing and nobody else is ever going to get this. It's for us to figure out how we share that blessing with somebody else and how we invest in them. So I want you to see three conditions that he gives. We won't get all the way through this psalm tonight. We'll just get through the first three verses. First of all, uh, the blessed life is separated from the world. It is separated from the world. The godly are like a tree. The wicked don't have fruit. That's what verse 3 and verse 4 tell us. You see, it's not only those without Christ who waste their lives. It's those who have an opportunity to have a blessed life that never learn how to live according to the conditions of God's word. Verse 5 says they won't escape judgment. Verse, now, let me just kind of give you this real quick. Verse 3 is a contrast to verse 4. Verse 2 is a contrast to verse 5. And verse 1 is a contrast to verse 6. There's the way of the godly and the way of the ungodly. There's a life that begins with blessing and a life that ends with perishing. There are blessings on the godly and judgment on the ungodly. But here's the key. The person that lives in verses 1 through 3 is the only person that has a chance to witness and share and lead to the change of life in the person who's living in verses 4 through 6. You see, if I don't understand how God blesses me, then I can never talk to the wicked who do all the things wrong and say, I've got a better solution. I've got a better offer for you. There's a, there's a better deal on the table. So he's giving us an example of how we stand out in our lives and how we stand up for Christ in the midst of this world. Robert Frost wrote the poem, The Road Less Traveled. And he talked about walking in the woods and coming to a fork in the road and standing in that fork in the road, he saw one path that was well-worn and a second path that was overgrown and less traveled. And he wrote about those two paths. I took the one less traveled and that has made all the difference. Let me give you a couple of thoughts about this because really what Robert Foss was de defining in his poem is what Jesus talked about, the broad road and the narrow road. You see, when you pick a path, 
you live with the consequences of that path. When you're on a road, you can't go to this road and that road and go back and forth and back and forth. Once you pick a path, you pick where that path's going to lead you. And you pick the consequences. The choices you make determine the roads you take. And so when you pick a path, you can either pick the well-worn path and the road, that road has been beaten down and trampled down by the masses who rush headlong to a dead-end street. Or you can take the narrow path and find that not many people walk that, but everybody that's walked it has been blessed. And so he paints this picture of two different paths, holy yet human, and then there are those who are unholy and nothing but human. They only live in the earthly realm. He's, he gives us a contrast between the godly and the ungodly, the righteous and the wicked. And if you want to understand what Psalm 1 is, Psalm 1 is a six-verse summary of worldviews. Verses 1 through 6 tells you the biblical Christian worldview. Verses 4 through 6 tells you every other philosophy and worldview known to man. Anything apart from God, anything apart from depending on Christ is mentioned, comes under that category of the worldview mentioned in verses 4 through 6. And so the key is, if you're looking for happiness, make sure you're on the right path. And make sure in this contrast of lifestyles that you're choosing the right one. People look for happiness in every place imaginable. And I don't need to go into details, but things and sex and drugs and alcohol and, and relationships and everything in the world, and they end up finding out it's meaningless. Now, why do we know it's meaningless? Because the wisest man that ever lived wrote a book and said all is vanity. It's just empty living. It, it, it accounts and amounts to nothing. And he came to the end of his life and said, remember your creator in the days of you. You know, you would think as many generations of people have lived and squandered years of their lives and finally gotten their act together, you would think that somewhere along the line there'd be a trickle-down effect where a, a younger generation would think, you know, my grandparents told me they had a season in their life where they did dumb things. My parents told me they had a season in their life where they did dumb things. Maybe I'm going to be a part of the generation that decides not to do dumb things. You don't have to imitate everything that you see. And just because somebody did it and got away with it and God spared them doesn't mean that we'll get away with it and God will spare us. You've got to understand that there is a separation from the world. Now, here's the key. If I don't choose God's way as my goal, if I don't choose God's word as my guide, and if I don't choose God's will as my destination, I will be on the wrong path. I've got to be committed to his way, his word, and his will, or I'm going to be on the wrong path. Now, here the writer illustrates the righteous life in three negatives. He's trying to emphasize the positive by speaking a negative, and he gives three words to tell us that compromise can lead to a habit, and a habit can have serious, serious consequences. Turn, if you would, to 1 John chapter 2. Now, hold your place in, in Psalms, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. 1 John 2 and verse 15. You know these verses 
But this is, John is doing the same thing that the psalmist is doing. He's using a negative, saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this if you want to walk with God. 1 John 2.15, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. Everything on the broad road is passing away. It's go one day it's just not going to exist anymore. Everything on the broad road is passing away. And so he's telling us you've got to be careful where you walk, where you stand, and where you sit. Now, here, here are three things I want you to see. First of all, don't listen to the counsel of the self-willed. Don't listen to the counsel of the self-willed. That's just going to get you in trouble. The self-willed or, or the self-made will tell you, listen to what I'm saying. Don't listen to the counsel of the self-willed. Don't imitate the conduct of sinners. Don't imitate the conduct of sinners. And don't hang out with scorners. Now, by those three, I want you to write a couple other things. Don't listen to the counsel of the self-willed. Don't imitate the conduct of sinners. And don't hang out with scorners. The, the self-willed live by evil principles, okay? So the self-willed person, the principles that drive their life are evil. They're not based in Scripture. They're based on the flesh. They're based on worldly wisdom. They're based on principles that won't hold up under pressure. Uh, on those who, uh, the conduct of sinners, they live by doing evil deeds, so you've got evil principles. You see, once you live by evil principles and you begin to buy into evil principles, you'll do evil deeds. And then you have the scorners. Scorners have evil partnerships. They have evil partnerships. You know why people are in gangs? Because they've followed evil principles and done evil deeds 